Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. And I still remember how to do it. (laughs) Hasn't gone away. I had no doubt, Lyle, I had no doubt. I'm back. (laughs) I am very thankful that you are. It's good to be back again. I have missed you guys so much. It has uh, just not been the same. Did you get what you wanted done, though? No. You never nice. get what you want done on your, when you've got, you know, it's just, <laughs> just, there's a never-ending list of things that you need to get done when you've got a little bit of time off. Yeah, true. Always. Were you working on your house, though? Yes. What are you thankful for, actually? Let's chat. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, all right, right. So, you got to hear about what I'm thankful for. This yes. is, I think, possibly... The biggest thing that I've ever been thankful for on radio. Yeah, go on then. Ever. <laughs> uh-huh. Ever. Okay. This is okay. a big call. This is a big one. Are you guys emotionally prepared to hear this? All right. Yeah. You, you ready for it? <laughs> so this will be the biggest one I've ever, ever announced thankfulness on radio. Uh-huh. I'm going to be a grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I knew you were going to say this. I was like, it's pretty good news. And if this doesn't top the list in some way, like. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Absolutely. So, um, June 6th of August, um, Shell and I always aspired to be grandparents in our 40s. And looks you like just we just get there. We looks like we're going to make hey. it. We are, we are going to make it well and truly. So, no, that's so good. And, uh, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, uh, um, due on, on my wife's birthday. Oh, that'd our, be our first, our first grandchild due on my wife's birthday. You just have to see if that actually happens or not, eh? Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know. Due dates don't always happen. No, they, they don't always happen. But, but it's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool to have that as the due date. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, I can care. That's such good. I did know that, but it's nice to be on the radio. And you know. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Mini, let's have some positively different news. Oh, yeah, it's I mean, my I mean, turn. Have to hear some. Yeah, yeah. You can do oh, positively <laughs> different news this morning. I'm so how, happy. <laughs> how have you been enjoying doing the uh, more challenging stories? Oh, it's so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many times I'd find a really good story and I was like, I want to tell this story. And I was like, oh, I guess we better have some real news in there too, though. All right. <laughs> uh, it's, all, it's all real news. Well, yeah, just some sounds better. To hear than other news, you know? Yeah, I guess, it, well, is it all real? I don't know. I'm a bit of a sceptic at times. No, nah, it was real. It was real. But, okay, so in some positive well, it's all real news, news, whether it's true or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the issue. Yeah, true, true, true. Okay, so pure alpine dingo cubs have been found in Victoria's high country, which means that the threatened species does, in fact, still exist. Oh, that's cool. It is cool, which mean, basically all that means is there is no, um, what's it called, interbreeding with any kind of domestic dog. Like these are just pure breed dingo. Um, for those of you guys who may not like dingoes or don't know about them, they are actually connected to wolf species. Yes. They're not just, when people say wild dog, they're not a feral, like, wild dog. Um, I mean, they can be pretty rough. It depends how you define that. Well, yeah. But if someone told me like a, I don't know, I guess they're all a bit wild, aren't they? But I kind of associate with a feral animal. like Yeah. Yeah. But they reckon that – so some people used to say that dingoes eat all our native mammals and stuff. They reckon, in fact, that is not true after they have done a couple of big studies on it and they are great at keeping um, the healthy Australian ecosystem. You know, like they, they get the foxes, they get 
Actually, a lot of the introduced kind of species. Um, and they Go the dingoes. Yeah, so they said that this is actually a really important species to have. And obviously, you know, the fact that they weren't... Well, they haven't seen them for the past like 11-ish years. They were like, mm, maybe they don't in fact live anymore. Um, but these two were discovered, Myrtle and Moko, they've called them. Um, and so they did find another one called Wandy. Wandy? I don't know. Whatever it was called. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there are threatened species in Victoria. They these were actually found a couple of months ago. Um, so two locals were just riding, you know, their bikes on private land, and found these two orphan dingo cubs that cubs that seem to be starving. Oh, these were orphan cubs. Yep. So they were very malnourished and close to death, and apparently they weighed about three kilos or less um, each. And so they apparently been fending for themselves for probably a couple of weeks. Um, but DNA testing by um, the University of New South Wales Centre for Ecosystem Science um, by molecular biologist Dr. Kylie Cairns confirms that they are completely alpine dingoes um, with no evidence of domestic dog ancestry. Um, and following on from the rescues of Wandi and Sooty, they are another reminder that the wild dingoes are persisting in Victoria. I guess... Yep, you go. So, so if you raise if you raise these dingoes mm. in captivity, does that mean they become domestic dingoes, or do they, mm. or are they always just a little bit wild? Look, I don't know. I didn't think that you were allowed to actually raise them. Well, you'd have to have a license for it, I guess, yeah, and all true, that true. kind of stuff. You can sort of get a license for most things, I think, to uh, I have know. as a pet. That's true. <laughs> but, I mean, you can't just turn them out into the wild because they're going to starve to death if they're pups. Yes. They're going to really struggle to survive, so and we wouldn't want them to disappear because they're well, this is a stitch species. up, isn't it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what do you do? What do How you do? How do you solve this problem? I don't know. Does anybody have a pet dingo that they can tell us about that they have a, a license to own one? Yes, tell I mean, us. there's lots of lots of dog breeds, yeah. that have dingo in the breed. Mm. Um, we have a uh, stumpy tail cattle dog, and that has dingo in its breed in its oh, heritage okay. from back in the day. They they bred it with dingoes. Mm. Um, British British and Dingo cross. There you go. Uh, to create that dog, but that was you know like 120 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a bit of bit of time back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it kind of has you know a bit of Dingo characteristics. Very very independent at times. Mm. Just, he decides he was going to do something, and regardless of the consequences, he considers the consequences and decides. <laughs> yep. Yep. I will take the consequences and do this. It is in fact worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, look, I think. That's kind of that's that seems to be something that runs in everything, then, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely a kind human of. streak. And- <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I mean, you get some dogs that are just like, I will obey my master that's at all true. times, in all circumstances, and our dog is, I will obey my master most of the time when it suits me and I feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. But yeah, I just think this is a really cool story. I like hearing about Australian native. I mean, I guess they reckon it came from Asia. However many thousand years ago, yeah. It's but been still, here long, I think it's been here long enough that we can call it a native. I can care. I can care. Uh, so it's nice to hear these sort of stories, and it's also nice to know that they apparently don't attack our other native, like smaller things, like you know, our marsupials. And maybe and these mammals. dingoes can do something about the mouse plague. Yeah. Well, hey, that'd be ideal. Yes. But we just have to hope that yes, they can in fact survive when they're back in the wild. We don't know. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, if you guys know anything about dingoes, we would love to hear. Educate us. Share. Share with all of our listeners. And another news story. So Janice Nix, uh, so she is someone who lives in um, the UK. So she went from a drugs kingpin who joined the probation service. So basically, years ago, before she went into jail, she was a notorious London drug dealer. 
She was known as Mama J, and her crimes caught up. Uh, her crimes caught up with her, and she she spent quite a while in prison. But the suicide of a fellow inmate would lead to her turning her life around, and she went to become a probation officer. So she's now sixty two, and she's just released a memoir about about her eventful life, um, and how she has. She's sorry, she's just left the probation service, but still works voluntarily to help vulnerable women in the capital. Um, of yeah I guess London she said that she's not proud of her history and sometimes she can cringe when she thinks about it but then she has to be gentle with herself because she also understands that without this past she might not have the chance to teach and help the women that she works with now and she yeah it's basically just goes through her life journey a little bit and she says that a lot of the women she works with today face the same problems as she did um, a lack of role models and a sense of isolation that was magnified by poverty um, which I think we hear a lot of those sorts of stories and I just think it's, yeah, it's kind of important that we have these stories of restoration. We were talking about this the other day, actually. I was with some friends and we went down the big old conversation of, you know, is there ever a time for death penalty or not? You know, what does what is the point of justice? Is, is it about rehabilitation or is it about... Can, anyway, we had this massive conversation. <laughs> um, but I love that you have these sorts of stories, right, where it's just like, well, you know, it's not all a hopeless case. Um, I mean, I, you know. That could, that's a whole other rabbit hole that we could go down. But, yeah, I was just thinking, yeah. man, I'm, I'm disappointed I missed out on that <laughs> conversation. That sounds like a whole lot of fun. Oh, it's it's one of those conversations you don't necessarily have big conclusions out of. You just have a whole bunch of opinions that you're discussing. Anyway, it was a good conversation. But, yeah, so she's just brought out this, um, out this book and she says that – she said that her father hasn't been able to see it because he once, you know, kind of blasted her a bit about being a thief and a drug dealer, but that when he – died she she found comfort she said you know i could see in his eyes and tears that he forgave me um so even if there wasn't much communication i think that can also be a special thing of just what what reconciliation can look like just in a family level yeah absolutely absolutely and there's too many families that have um you know allowed these kind of things to come in and to tear them apart Mm. and you know maybe you come from a family like that it's just not worth it Mm. it is just not worth it um if you've got family members that you're estranged from then you know Make that effort to be reconciled because family is so incredibly important. Absolutely, yeah. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so moving on to more serious news. Um, we do have two big issues that are coming up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, two bills that will be going through Parliament tomorrow. And one is in South Australia, one in Victoria, of course, the South Australia Abortion to Birth Bill mm. is going through tomorrow, so that one is if you're living in South Australia, you need to be in contact with your your local member about that one today. Um, and you know, there's you know, there's some amendments there that say that you know that that people would like to see go through that you know after 22 weeks it can only be allowed if it's to save the life of the mother and this kind of thing, which would be a good amendment. Mm. It would be no, no. Well, let me say should say this. It would be a better. Amendment. It would have been an improvement on a bad bill. Mm. But, you know, the possibility of having an abortion up to birth just because you want it is, you know, putting that into legislation, regardless of whether people ever actually do that or not, says something really, really terrible about our society and the way that, you know, we as human beings think here in Australia that we think that somehow this is a positive thing and that somehow this could be a good thing and good for society. That's just, that's just, it's just beyond horrific. 
And I understand that, you know, people are in desperate situations. We need to be a society who helps out people who are in desperate situations rather than just offering death as the solution. Death is not the solution for a desperate situation. There are lots of people out there who are more than willing to put up their hands to help, to do whatever they can to, you know, to alleviate suffering. And those are the those are the options that we need to be looking for rather than taking somebody's life. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the thing. A lot of people don't know where to find support if they need it. And that's absolutely if that's not clear and you're already very stressed about a situation and yet you don't even know where to go then it would help if that just became a bit clearer. That's right. right? <laughs> it would. It would. And, and you know, if we focused our attention and our effort on making those options available rather oh. than on, okay, let's just the easy solution, just uh, take the life of the child and move on. Mm. Well, nobody actually moves on from that. Mm. Research has brought that out. You know, you've got an almost 100% depression rate from people who choose to have an abortion. And... You know, I know that a lot of you as my listeners have had an abortion and you can all testify to that. Mm. Um, and, that's the, and that's the tragedy of what we're dealing with here. Okay, the other big one is the Victorian Anti-Conversion Bill. Uh, this has been opposed by Christians, been opposed by Muslims. Interestingly, it's been opposed by the Korean, Indonesian and Chinese communities in Victoria. Wow. They've come out very strongly against it as well. There has been petitions. Um, there's been one petition that had 5,000 signatures on it. Um, there's um, 18,000 emails that have been sent in. Um, there's 380 faith leaders who have signed a letter. It'll be voted on tomorrow. And you know, with all of the, with all of the impact of all of these faith-based groups who have been opposing this anti-conversion bill, what I find significant is that there has not yet been a single solitary liberal leader who has stood up and said, we will vote against the bill. This is in a Labor government, wow. and the opposition hasn't even turned around and gone, yeah, you know what, we could find some votes here. We could find some support by opposing this bill. That is very strange. It is like, politically incredibly speaking, strange. That's a bit odd. This is okay. So th- it gets weirder than that. So um, just to fill you in on the details, basically the bill is aimed at uh, conversion therapy therapy for LGBT plus and um, people with gender dysphoria. Uh, and, and so really, what it does when you break it down, and this is you know Daniel Daniel Andrews' war on people of faith. It's not just a war on Christianity. It's a war on people of faith. Um, it, it bans accepting, it bans any of us. Mm. And interestingly, it bans us here in New South Wales. Yeah, crazy, huh? This is Victorian legislation that bans us in New South Wales. If someone travels up from Victoria and asks you, hey, I'm struggling with this, can you pray for me? And you say yes, you can be, you can be liable for up to 10 years in prison for that. Hmm. This is this, this is, is crazy. wild stuff. Yeah. This is Australia. Mm. Could you have ever imagined in your wildest dreams that something like this would happen in Australia? Now, the bizarre thing about it is that it attacks LGBT plus people and it attacks people with gender dysphoria. And they're so blinded by ideology they don't realize that it attacks them. So we're told that, you know, body positivity is a good thing and that we should accept our body as it is and we should love our body as it is. Uh, unless you don't love your body as it is, uh, if you go for counselling to a Christian because you don't love your body as it is, 
and you want to love your body as it is, mm. you go to counselling for a Christian, that Christian can go to jail for 10 years for giving you counselling or praying for you. For something about, that you have asked for even. For, you, for something that you have asked for. For something that you have requested. So your freedoms, your liberties are gone. We're told that, you know, gender is fluid. So what they're always telling us, oh, gender's fluid, gender's fluid. So if gender is fluid and your gender starts to change, let's say that that's a real thing and your gender starts to change and you want it to change or you don't want it to change, you go for counselling to a Christian and you can put that Christian in jail for that. This is so absurd to me. I don't, it just doesn't make sense. The, the other bizarre thing about it is that we're told that gender is fluid but orientation is not. Okay, yes, so wrap, yes, try and wrap okay, your head around yeah. that for a moment. Okay, try and wrap your head around that for a moment. Okay? So your gender changes. What happens if your orientation changes? Well, that's illegal. What? Oh, my brain hurts. <laughs> I know, I know. The whole thing is the most bizarre piece of legislation. And what it is, is it attacks LGBT plus people. It attacks people of faith. And it is just a piece of legislation that is blinded by ideology and is put forward by people who just hate religion so much that they are looking for any opportunity that the public will accept to attack Christianity and religion. Mm. This is what this piece of legislation is all about. But I think this is the thing. A lot of people don't actually know that this is what it's about. No, they've got no idea. Like people either they haven't think, oh, this is, this is This is about banning electric, electric th- shock therapy. That's right, which if that was happening, absolutely should ban that. Of course it like, should be banned. Just, you know. Yes. But because you, if we look into this of what it actually means played out. The banning prayer mm. or certain types of prayer, banning counselling. Mm-hmm. That somebody asks for. Yeah. So you no longer have any. That's freedom. the thing. It's not even me saying, oh, I need to pray for you. That's someone coming to me being like, hey, please. Like. And this is the thing. When I worked in Sydney, I worked in the CBD mm. of Sydney for, what was it, five years or so, six years, something like that. I can't remember how long. A fair chunk of time. And, you know, that's, you know, ground zero. That's, that's, a, that's an, a major community of the LGBT plus community. And so I knew a lot of people from that community. I knew a lot of people with gender dysphoria. We studied the Bible together. We had, they, had them, they were members of our church that participated in our worship services, all of these kinds of things. And uh, I had people who would come to me for counseling over these issues because they couldn't get it from the secular community. Wow. So they would seek out people within you know, the religious sphere for counselling they couldn't get elsewhere. And now that has been banned even in, here in New South Wales by Victoria. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're joining us on the phone this morning for our regular monthly update on all things to do with creation and science is Dr. John Ashton. Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show. Yes, John, somehow or other, your voice is coming through super faint right now. I can mm. barely hear you. Let me just see if I've got the volume turned all the way up here. Yep, that one's up. Let's see if we can get you a little bit more clearly this time. Are you, are you there, John? Yes, yes, I'm here. Can you hear me along? You're a bit louder. Yeah, yes, just okay. barely. But anyway, we will press ahead and see what happens. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, John... Today we we're going to talk about uh, Dr. John Lennox and a discussion that he had with uh, Dr. Peter Atkins. 
Could we begin by just maybe just giving us a, a bit of a biography of uh, who Dr. John Lennox is? Yeah, sure. Uh, so John Lennox is um, a professor of uh, mathematics, although he's uh, retired just recently. He's uh, an emeritus professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford. Um, and um, he holds um, also a Doctor of Science degree, as well as a, uh, a PhD. And um, he is also a very strong Christian um, apologist. And uh, he writes some um, really good um, <clears throat> material. Um, and uh, he's, a, he's a very strong believer in these scriptures, that, that the scriptures are in, inspired. And um, this is really great because he's also a very clever man. Um, he is, um, as a mathematician and obviously is a professor of mathematics at Oxford. Um, and I've seen him uh, debate uh, Richard Dawkins, for example, and, um, and also... Um, uh, Peter Atkins, who was um, also a uh, professor at Oxford. Peter Atkins is an emeritus professor of chemistry at Oxford University, but a, a very strong atheist. Mm. Okay, so in this debate with um, Dr. Peter Atkins, can you give us a little bit of a run-through of you know some of the major arguments that were presented? Because that sounds like... Um it would be a fascinating discussion to listen into. You've got two really, you know, very great minds going head to head over such an important issue. Yes, well, I think, um, uh, of course, you can watch the debate. Just um, sort of Google uh, John Lennox and Peter Atkins, and then go to the YouTube. You know, select on YouTube, and the, the debate will come up, as well as other debates that John Lennox has. I think the the point that stood out uh, most strongly uh, to me was, uh, for example, that uh, Peter um, Atkins, of course, you know, uh, denied you know, the, the miracles of the Bible and, and, and this sort of thing. But as the moderator, uh, at the end of the debate, um, asked, uh, uh, the, asked them both a question. He asked Peter Atkins, he said, is there any evidence that would persuade you to reject your atheist views and, um, you know, uh, believe in, in the Bible? Is there any evidence that would persuade you? And he said, no, nothing. No, there's no evidence that you could bring up that would persuade me to give up my belief that there is no God. And um, so he then asked a, a similar, uh, the well, the same question to John Lennox. And John, and he said, you know, Professor Lennox, is there any evidence that someone could bring up that would persuade you to give up your faith in, in, in the Bible, in God, in Christianity and so forth? And John Lennox replied, said, yes, there is. And so everyone said, oh, well, what's that? And he said, if you could prove to me that Jesus was not raised from the dead, I would give up my faith in Christianity. And I thought that's a very, very interesting challenge to throw out. But it's a fundamental challenge in that it is a fundamental belief of Christianity. And John Lennox went on to uh, talk about 
the historical evidence, the evidence from uh, different scholars for the historicity um, of the resurrection of Jesus and the um, the evidence of the genuineness of the eyewitness accounts of the apostles and so forth and the um, archaeological evidence and the historical evidence that um, uh, supports that, the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that has two important implications and implications for you know, science um, and creation. And one is that it was a supernatural event. And one of the important points that John Lennox makes out in, in several of his talks is that the scientific establishment has largely um, embraced naturalism. And that is that there is, all there is is this physical universe um, and physical earth. That's that's all there is. There's nothing outside that, and you can't have anything outside that. And essentially, that was Peter Atkins' position: that everything has to be explained in terms of, you know, the the laws of physics, chemistry, and mathematics, what we can see and observe, um, and detect around us in in this universe. That there's there's no supernatural, um, and yet. Really, um, this of course affects our science education, but really it's something that uh, scientists have imposed on um, themselves, on our education system, that we're going to keep God out of it, despite the overwhelming evidence for the, uh, for the supernatural. And I think... Um, you know, just um, the the evidence for life, the fact that scientists don't have a clue on um, the origin of, of life. Um, I, it strikes me that, that, Dr John Ashton, it strikes me that that would be very limiting to a researcher to, you know, to take some avenue that might be a possibility and to just eliminate that, so that, okay, this is a whole area, a whole field of study. We are not going to investigate this particular field and we're going to limit ourselves to, to just looking at the question from, you know, from naturalism. Seems, see, that seems to me to be very limiting to um, any kind of researcher who's trying to find answers to something. Oh, yes, indeed. And, um, and I think uh, John Lennox brings that point up as well. And the, the issue is, of course, that the supernatural is real. We, and we have not just the record of the resurrection in the Bible, but we have also the record of, um, you know, Jesus raising Lazarus and the fact that that was the reason then that the Jews became very determined to kill Jesus. Um, we have the other eyewitness accounts of other miracles that um, Jesus did Healing the lame man, the blind man, uh, Peter's miracle of healing the lame man, again, that caused him to be thrown into prison. Uh, we have the records of this. Um, and these these were public miracles that were, were, were done at the time. And we also have, uh, you know, the, the evidence from archaeology and the, the earliest manuscripts we have. We have, you know, so many manuscripts 
from the scriptures and there's evidence that the earliest manuscripts were written before 80 AD, so they were written in the first 50 years or so after Christ's death. Um, and um, so these are, you know, first-hand accounts uh, by, by eyewitnesses um, who then, um, were, you know, suffered a lot of persecution and so forth for their accounts and <clears throat> and many of them, you know, died. They paid the ultimate price for, um, uh, you know, defending that position that they had and the account that they saw. And they're also so, written during a period, if I could just butt in for a moment, John, and just, just mention this, um, they're also written during a period in which the people who were involved in those events were still alive. The records of what had happened were still readily available. You know, if you wanted to doubt, for instance, uh, Peter healing the lame man, you could go to Jerusalem and you could interview a whole slew of people and say, okay, was this guy lame? Was he lame from his birth? Does he, did he exist? You could probably go and interview him himself. Um, you could go to the prison and find the records of Peter being in prison. It's like, okay, why was this guy in prison? Well, he was in prison because he healed a lame man. You know, this was these were not written so long after the event that you could not go back and actually research it, there were still eyewitnesses alive and a huge amount of eyewitnesses that were still alive when these claims were being made and put, in, put down on paper. Yes, that's right. And, and these are, are powerful you know, testimonies um, that the supernatural is, is real. Um, as well as all the other accounts, you know, in the in the Bible, right through in the in the Old Testament, and so it, it, it is. It's it's one of the facts that that scientists have chose well. Not all scientists, of course, uh, but essentially the the political powers in science, the people who control the scientific journals, have essentially, um, you know, sort of uh, hijacked the whole scientific publishing area. So that um, anything to do with the supernatural or the evidence that uh, the supernatural is real and is part of reality is just automatically rejected. And, you know, it's pretty serious. One of the other people speaking in this area, of course, is um, uh, Dr. James Tour, one of the most highly cited synthetic chemists in the world. And he gave a talk at Andrews University, September, October last year. Um, and the title of his course, uh, his uh, talk was, Scientists Don't Have a Clue um, About the Origin of Life. And again, his whole point is that uh, life is supernatural because we know so much about the biochemistry involved in what's in, in a living cell and the complexity of it, the, the molecular machines that are involved and, and so forth. And so it's absolutely impossible for a living self-replicating organism to arise by chance, chemical reaction. Absolutely in, impossible. And so he's pointing this out as, as well. Um, and again, you know, life itself is evidence of the supernatural. Uh, the fact that we are alive is a supernatural event. There's no naturalistic physical explanation for how we can be alive. The supernatural is sometimes described as science that we do not yet understand. 
And, you know, I guess there's a whole lot of scientific questions that you and I are going to uh, have a lot of enjoyment asking God about one day when we get to heaven. Uh, (laughs) One of the things that I find fascinating about this is that, you know, as science advances and we actually learn more, it doesn't remove the supernatural it makes the supernatural so much more powerful because we know so much more you know if you look at darwin for instance when darwin looked looked at a cell it was a blob when we look at a cell it's an incredibly complex um or you know device and uh, you know science has advanced that and we have so much more evidence in favor of of God and of the supernatural than what we did before. And it seems the more we discover from science, the more evidence there is for the supernatural. Yes, yes. And that's exactly right. And it applies to, you know, right across the theory of evolution too. I mean, scientists are still working out how can the DNA code change sufficiently to produce a new body part. You know, they've tried to come up with all different kinds of, uh, of mechanisms uh, but really the, the codes are so huge, the genetic codes are so huge and the amount of new information required for uh, the evolution of a new type of body part or something is so huge that, again, it, it's absolutely in, in, impossible. So, uh, yeah, there's more and more evidence all the time that is um, coming out um, in this area that there must have been a creator, there must be a superior intelligence and um, because this is the important message that we've got to get out to uh, to young people and, and of course more scientists are recognising this and I think I've mentioned this before um, there's a, um, a group now, uh, descentfromdarwin.org you google descentfromdarwin.org there's over a thousand scientists now with PhD, doctorate level qualifications in areas related to evolution, um, where they've signed the statement that they are sceptical that mutation and natural selection can be responsible for the diversity of life on Earth. Mm, so you know, the evidence is, uh, you know, more and more scientists are, are recognising that, but at the same time, um, the educators are very reluctant to say, well, we really now need to look at what the evidence is for God. But we we have all these other records, like, you know, the Bible, for example, um, that records this interaction of God with man, you know. And, and this is so important because it tells us what God is like, that God is a God of love, uh, a God who wants to have that relationship with us and us have that assurance of his love and turn away from doing bad things um, to following him and living a more fulfilling life, you know. And this is the message, isn't it, that has to get out, particularly to young people that are growing up uh, with these atheistic views. Mm. Dr. John Ashton, thank you so much for joining us here this morning on Faith FM. It's been wonderful to have you come back again. Uh, If you'd like to listen to that uh, debate with, uh, just uh, find it on YouTube, Dr. Peter Atkins and Dr. John Lennox. We're going to move on with the show. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.